the last chapter of Daniel, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. That time shall rise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, every one whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. What a joyful Lord's Day this is as we celebrate the resurrection. We are concluding the promised end of the book of Daniel, the series we started a long time ago, with this sermon that encapsulates the famous section at the last chapter regarding the resurrection. And so on Easter, it's very appropriate that we do that. And then of course, next Lord's Day, Lord willing, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1. But before we go into this text, let's approach the risen Christ in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you that we can address a king who is alive today and reigning and ruling and loving us and nestling us into the heart of the Father the Holy Spirit, we thank you that we are fed the bread of life, Jesus Christ, the wine of life, and the word preached and in the sacrament. We thank you that in prayer, even in our singing, we get to sing praises and prayers unto you. We do this in Jesus' name, and we ask you to bless us abundantly today through Christ alone, whose name we ask it, amen. So Daniel 12.2, the middle verse of our scripture lesson today, may be the Old Testament's first really crystal clear reference to the bodily resurrection of all human beings that have ever been conceived since Adam. The elect redeemed that would make up the true church and also the reprobate condemned, who will of their own volition as well, be separated from God. All human beings get resurrected on the great last day, the great judgment day, the day of the general resurrection from the dead. Our Lord Jesus spoke lucidly about this, and we can see it in John's Gospel at chapter 5, verses 28 and 29 where he said that his voice would call out of the graves the righteous, i.e. those who were atoned and given the righteousness of Christ by imputation, and the unjust too. All people would come forth from the grave. So why is the resurrection so important and relevant for all human beings, everyone that ever existed? For that matter, all animals, plants, inanimate things, anything God created, the resurrection has relevance for. It actually affects everyone and everything. Rational beings like humans and angels and all others. Largely, it is important and relevant because everyone will experience it And the resurrection on the last day will seal everyone in the state of being they will be in for all eternity. That is an important fact. We'll be frozen, as it were, in that state, although not frozen in the sense of 
not moving, etc., but have that particular end. Now, God's revealed goal or end for all creatures made in his image, the revealed will of God, is that the gospel would be preached to every human being, and that human beings would come into a knowledge by faith of Jesus Christ himself and share in him as his church in his resurrection glory. Now, we know that doesn't happen with every human being, but that is the revealed will of God that all human beings would believe. And those who are in Christ Jesus are there because he has been good to us. He has called us, he had chosen us, and he has applied the atonement to us. But there are a lot of people in the world today, perhaps even in our midst today, who are not yet in Christ Jesus, and who may indeed someday be. And this may be the day that he calls them into that glorious harvest of grace in Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us make it our goal today, by the gospel grace of God on this Easter Sunday, to glory in our risen Christ as God's resurrected church. I hope everybody got an outline. We're going to start it here in a moment. We're going to be studying Daniel 12, 1 through 3. The title is Resurrection Truth. Every text has a doctrine, the teaching here. The resurrection has something for everyone, and we might even add everything. The Holy Scriptures teach us that there are two resurrections, and both of them affect everyone and everything in the creation. The first resurrection is the regeneration by God of dead, lost, rebellious, God-hating, fallen sinners. Their souls are brought to life miraculously by God in regeneration, the born-again Experience. That is the first resurrection, the application of Jesus' atonement. And that's mentioned in Revelation 20, verse 6, and in many other places in the Scripture. The second resurrection that the Bible teaches is the full restoration in glory in the case of the elect redeemed, or secured in damnation in the case of the reprobate angels and humans of all created beings and everything that exists. You can read about this in Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. Therefore, in fact, the resurrection has something for everyone. First, this includes angels, the redeemed, and the condemned. We might even say, as previously mentioned, in truth, all creation universally without any exception whatsoever participates in the wonder, reality, and splendor of the general resurrection on the last day, the great judgment day. And this, of course, would even include our our animals. But the greater the created being, the more dramatic are the effects of the resurrection. We talked about it in Christian Ed this morning. Originally, God had created angels above humans, but in Christ's incarnation, humanity is now raised above the angelic realm. So human beings are the highest of all God's creation. The higher up the creational ladder, the higher or lower the eternal place those beings will find themselves. And again, since Jesus Christ did indeed become a human being and not an angel, 
We now, according to Hebrews 1, 3, 4, 3 3-14, are above even the angels, and they are followed by the animals, the plants, and inanimate things. So God's two resurrections set everything in order. In the case of the first resurrection, the resurrection of elect redeemed sinner saints brought into the church, it sets the elect church over the world. We are to rule and govern the world in love and and show the world the way, show them Jesus, preach the gospel to them. In the case of the second or bodily general resurrection on the last day, it sets everyone and everything into its eternal state of being. And therefore it is indeed true that the resurrection has something for everyone. This includes angels, the redeemed, and the condemned. And they all bow to Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection. This is a key and important truth. Everyone and everything will be on its face before King Jesus on the judgment day. Both of the resurrections we've spoken of this morning are designed by God to bring Christ the greatest glory from the created realm. But the second general resurrection is where all rational creatures, human beings, and even demons, non-elect angels, will, even against their rebellious and fallen wills, find themselves bowing on the ground before King Jesus the Lord, and fully declaring with their mouths that he is Lord. Here are the words actually of Philippians 2, 9-11, through 11, referenced on your outline. Therefore God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But the reason Jesus Christ attains such high, glorious, top honor in the realm of reality is because of what we read before Philippians 2.9, and that is the immortal words of Philippians 2.8. And being found in human form, Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This brought him the honor before the Father, the Spirit, and all the created realm. All the people we know, all the people we work with, all the people that know Jesus, don't know Jesus, love Jesus, hate Jesus, somewhere else in their own thinking, all of them will bow to him and call him Lord. Everyone. And it won't be far away in the sense that this life is very short compared to eternity, although we don't know where the judgment day will be. It is certain to come. If you've ever wondered why there are resurrections in the first place, the main reason that God designed the universe the way he did, allowing the fall of man into sin, so that the Redeemer, the second person of the Holy Trinity, would become incarnate and do this marvelous work of redemption, giving God the greatest possible glory in conceivableness, is because of the sacrifice that the Son made. And the Father, 
the Son and His eternal divinity and the Holy Spirit all recognize it. And the created realm, every human being will too. Let's look at the verses 1 through 3, Daniel 12, and consider together why resurrection truth matters. You know, everyone longs for the resurrection. We can read about that in Romans 8. The creation groans, it longs. You and I do, every human being does. Because of the fall of man into sin, this longing for a resurrection became a necessary condition for all of us fallen sinners. And what's interesting is every great story ever told in the history of humanity since the fall has some reflection of the resurrection in it. That's true from Beauty and the Beast to Star Wars and any other stories in between. They all have resurrection woven into the stories because that's in our DNA. We're fallen creatures. We long for resurrection. Everyone does. There are two resurrections. Why resurrection truth matters. On this Easter Sunday, from a great Old Testament rising from the dead passage, let's better comprehend why resurrection truth matters. First, because God's history culminates in its wake. Verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be written in the book. Now, I believe with John Calvin regarding these verses and others that verse 1 is bookending redemptive history from the advent of Christ and his new covenant church kingdom, especially emphasizing the culminating events in Jerusalem in 70 AD and the destruction of the city there, till the great judgment day itself, the day of the general bodily resurrection. That's what verse 1 is doing. It's taking the picture of the history of redemption from the time of Christ, particularly the destruction of Jerusalem, then all the way to the judgment day. I also again believe with my good friend John Calvin that Michael referred to here could be an allusion to Christ himself, but if not, it is certainly an archangel working under Christ for the defense of his Christ's church, defending her, if you will. So if we are right, the point of verse 1 is to summarize all of redemptive history by distilling it down to the critical stages of the full glories of the new covenant age, namely 70 AD, to the great judgment day. Now, the formal outward covenant, i.e. those who are in the church but are yet not in Christ, not regenerated, is in view at the beginning of verse 1, but the elect church is certainly being referred to at the end of that verse where it says, everyone whose name shall be written in the book. But as we will see from verse 2 in just a moment, all of this is tied to the resurrection ultimately of Jesus Christ himself. So why resurrection truth matters? Because God's history culminates in its wake and because God's sovereignty, S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y, is validated in its accomplishment, verse 2. 
And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now the word many here means all. No one is accepted. Everyone's included. The bodily resurrection of every human being who has ever lived, and we're remembering that only the elect redeemed members of the church experience the spiritual resurrection, the bodily resurrection would be the final clarion trumpet call of God's absolute truthfulness. All the truth he ever put out there in creation, in natural revelation, in the Bible, special revelation, in the preaching of the gospel, the word of God preached by the church, everything that God has said in the entire history of the fallen world, everyone now will wake up to it and understand it. The truth of Christ, his gospel, and his holy scriptures. There's the entire enterprise of life is to experience not the last resurrection, which everything and everyone will, but the first resurrection. The regeneration or being born again into Christ, as per Daniel 12.2 here which says that they will awake to everlasting life. The general resurrection will prove the reality of the first resurrection in the lives of the redeemed church. Everyone else also awakes, but according to the same verse 2, to shame and everlasting contempt. All life, bar none, all life, all happiness, all joy, all meaning, all truth, all grace, all righteousness, all justice, all goodness, all holiness is found in the person of Jesus who alone could and did say in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Why resurrection truth matters? Because God's history culminates in its wake. God's sovereignty is validated in its accomplishment. And finally, because God's grace is manifested in its effects. Verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who... Turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The Holy Spirit, through the prophecy of Daniel here, is looking back at the pre-judgment bodily resurrection day to the age of grace that we live in now, where we're hearing the gospel. He's looking back into it. In other words, Daniel is describing Christ's church's ministers, elders, deacons, and faithful parishioners who sparkled by the grace of God alone in the universe of the fallen world that was peppered with, showered with, sprinkled with the grace of the preached gospel of the free, glorious mercy and kindness of God in Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He's looking back at you who want to be sparkling in the universe. And it's by us that we do this during our time here on earth before the inauguration of the eternal state. Don't waste your life. Do you desire to be great in the kingdom, church of God? You ought to. 
It's in your DNA as human beings created in the image of God to want to be great. But there's no greatness outside of Jesus Christ or his church. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? You ought to. It is your duty. It is your privilege. It should be your passion. You should want to be great. And if that is the case, then go as low and humble and dependent and contrite and powerful and faithful in Christ Jesus as you possibly can. Go as low as you can. If you want to be great, be a faithful churchman, because there's no greatness outside of unfaithfulness, is there? Be one who doesn't waste your life. Share this good news with other fallen sinners. Invite people to church, as some of you even did today. That's a glorious thing. Invite them to hear and to see what the saints do in the household of faith. There is no such thing as a saved Christian separated from Christ and his church. They just don't exist. And you true saints are vested with the privilege of, quote, shining like the brightness of the sky above and like the stars forever and ever. Do you want that said about yourself by God? Faithful churchmen, in your calling, whatever that is, it's not office, it's not position, it's not prestige, it's humility, it's service, it's love, it's faithfulness, it's being who God created you to be in Christ and his church. Be that with all your heart. And you will shine like the brightness of the sky above and like the stars forever and ever. What better day than the Lord's Day, the Resurrection Day, shall I say even Easter Sunday, to grasp by grace through faith in Jesus Christ the glories of life in that glorious and beautiful Messiah and his church kingdom. As always, let's do a little more application this morning and understand how Jesus' Easter rising crowns his elect church's faithful living crowns. Let us get even more practical in this section as we bring home to where we are right now, where we live, the amazing benefits we enjoy as the church as we are now, right now, in the risen King Jesus, our Lord and Head. And because our resurrected Redeemer is coronated in heaven and we, his chosen and atoned for Ecclesia with him there, we may and should, without apology, own how Jesus' Easter rising crowns his elect church's faithful living. First, since the gospel is all wrapped up in the person of Christ. Now, this doctrine is of vital importance. When we're talking about faithful Christian living, we're not talking about doing things. We're not talking about being active. We're not talking about serving people in the world. We're not talking about doing good deeds. All of those things can flow out of it. That's not it. That's not the Christian life. We are talking about the doctrine of Jesus Christ being central to everything we are and do. 
No one is saved via a nebulous view of the cross or a speculative understanding of the resurrection. Instead, we are redeemed by the God-man, human being, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the remission of our sins and who rose from the dead for our full, free, legal, imputed, and forensic justification, declared righteous before a holy God, absolutely righteous, forgiven, clean, under no condemnation. Received by faith. All of our hope in this life and all of our glory in the one to come and the church triumphant is centered on and focuses on the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Anything less than Jesus Christ is a false gospel, period. Look to Christ by the eye of faith, dears. Just look to him. Ask him. Ask him for himself. Ask him for Jesus. Look to Jesus by the eye of faith and you will find your all in all. You will find your highest purpose for living. Everything that you could ever really desire or want, you will find in him. All you need, dears, is one glimpse by faith of this glorified, risen, resplendent, beautiful, magnificent God-man person, Jesus Christ. And you will be forever changed. And you will, from Lord's Day to Lord's Day, be transformed from glory to glory in your sanctification process more and more into the image of Christ, which is the whole purpose of living in this world. How Jesus' Easter rising crowns his elect church's faithful living. Since the gospel is all wrapped up in the person of Christ... His cross and resurrection is our victory as well. This, my dears, is a key, critical, vital doctrine. It's one which we must understand and own. Otherwise, Easter, the resurrection itself, the gospel, will mean little to us. We have to own it. It's ours. What Jesus Christ achieved in his cross and resurrection, he did not for himself. He didn't need to do it for himself. He never sinned. He did it for his elect, predestinated, redeemed, forgiven church, his bride. He did it for you who are in Christ Jesus. Any of you who want him. Now you might be saying this morning, well, pastor, how may I take part in this glory? How can I... Make it mine. How can it be something that means something to me? How can I, who just maybe been away from this teaching or never heard it before, how can I have part of it? These are good questions. And the answer to them is faith. Believe what you're hearing. Believe that Son of God, that gospel of good news. Believe the grace of God that you are hearing even in this sermon. Believe it. Own it for yourself. Make it your own. Someone might be thinking or saying, well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid God will not accept me. I am a sinner. I know myself to be a sinner. God may reject me because I am a sinner. There's the good news is, Jesus Christ came to earth not to save good people, He only saves sinners. No one else qualifies. Jesus Christ 
only came to seek and to save those who are lost, those who know themselves to be sinners. So if you are a sinner, you are a candidate for regeneration and redemption. If you're not a sinner and you're too good for God, His church, His Christ, then you will face Him on the judgment day and bow to Him and call Him Lord and go into perdition. Jesus came here to save sinners, not other kinds of people. Now you might be thinking or saying, well, Pastor, what's all this doctrine about election and predestination? What if I'm not among the elect? What if God didn't choose me? Well, I think that's a legitimate question and a legitimate concern. Pastorally, yes, I do. But here's the answer. Do you want Jesus Christ? Is it your desire to have your sins forgiven? Do you want him? The will is the problem. We're all conceived with fallen, rebellious wills. The question is, do you want this grace? Is it your sincere desire to avail yourself of the blood, righteousness, and atonement of Jesus Christ to forgive all of your sins or not? Or are you still willing to take a chance on your own alleged righteousness? If it is your desire, if you really do want Jesus Christ, that is good evidence that you're Faith is sincere, not fake or illusory. And if that is the case, and you embrace Jesus Christ by faith, you may know yourself to be in Christ Jesus, one also of the elect redeemed church. And if that is your blessed estate, then celebrate your baptism into Christ. And if you haven't been baptized, be baptized, and then become a faithful member of his faithful church, and for the rest of your days live as faithful Christians, willing to glory in the cross and the resurrection, to suffer, to endure persecution, trial, tribulation, distress, and hardship, to be a good soldier of the cross of Christ, to endure hardship as a good soldier, and yet, at the same time, to live in the glorious, wonderful realm of freedom, joy, forgiveness, life, expression, goodness, righteousness, holiness, justice, in Jesus Christ alone. Is it worth it? Yeah, it's worth it. Live as a useful, humble, faithful Christian churchman for as long as you're on this earth. And if you are in Christ, your life doesn't start then on the judgment day, the general resurrection day. Your life is here and now in Christ who is life himself. The very personification of it starts here. Beloved, resurrection truth on this Easter Sunday is our truth to have and to hold. Christ died for sinners. In Jesus' bloody atonement of our souls and in his triumph over the grave and all of God's and our enemies, we may fully relish, even now, resurrection truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that glorious fact. 
Thank you that you invite, sincerely invite, all human beings to embrace Jesus in the gospel. And you bring your people to yourself irresistibly. And yet once they are in Christ Jesus, their wills are changed, they have new hearts. We thank you that we are resurrected in our souls in the first resurrection. Final resurrection, that will be a grand and glorious day for us, but not for all. We pray that, Father, all who hear these words would embrace Jesus Christ now in this glorious gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.